I think it's adaptability. I think that designers and the way we think is a very unique thing. I think that we're positioned to be conduits between a lot of different businesses because we think along many different lines. And I think the fact that we're going away from the idea of production people or people who just do one singular thing. And I'm not talking about branding and design, but more of the production aspect or we used to have printing and somebody would actually be the, the person who would check the files in this, right? I'm talking about more of that stuff. And we're thinking about, you know, how somebody needs to be able to understand web, even though they're not working on the web. They need to understand RGB versus CMYK, even though they're not necessarily doing that. Where before, you can be a specialist in a, in a specific little thing. And I think now more people need to be, and a generalist is not necessarily a great term, but more generalist in the way that they're interested in different things. On this episode of The Designed Podcast, George Garastegui. George earned his BFA from New York's Fashion Institute of Technology and his MFA from the Savannah College of Art and Design. George is a designer, educator, and creative catalyst. He's a native New Yorker who looks to the city's rich history and culture for inspiration in his work. He has an extensive background in publishing, marketing, and strategy, which allowed him to craft creative solutions for clients such as Poplar Mechanics, Esquire, Cadillac, and Ford. When not teaching strategic thinking and process at the City University of New York, New York City College of Technology, George works to create industry connections and access for emerging designers via his role on the AIGA's National Diversity and Inclusion Task Force. George focuses on projects that initiate and discuss the creative process and has turned that passion into the podcast, Works in Process. George lives by the belief that you are not a designer because it's your job. You are a designer because it's who you are. The passion is evident in this episode as we have a lengthy conversation beyond the typical desired length for the design podcast. Every minute is dedicated to the discussion on creating success in design education. And I know you'll find the conversation valuable. George, hey, welcome what's up? to the design podcast. How are you? I'm doing good, doing good. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. You look great, full of smiles, trying, lots of energy. Trying. Excellent. Um, so just to let everybody know, give us a little bit of background on you, your path to and uh, through academia. How'd you get interested in it? How'd you find passion for it? Okay. Um, well, actually, I think after um, graduating college, I one of my first jobs, I was doing an art director for a small little magazine in New York. And the AIGA was having a, um, a call for mentors for their high school mentoring program. And that was about 2002. And in 2002, I became a mentor with the AIGA New York. And they partnered us up with um, the High School of Art and Design in New York. And you would be partnered with um, sophomores there and be tasked to mentor them all through graduation. So for the next three years. And I met... Oh, wow. um, a student there who I still am in contact with. I've known him for over half his life. Um, and we just clicked. And the idea of working with younger people and helping them find their passion and helping them discover the, the raw talent inside of them was something that really, really was interesting to me. And even though I was just starting my path as just finishing school and getting into like my own feet wet in there, 
I kind of started the the bug of, okay, there's potential in you sharing your ideas with other people. So really in 2002 was like the seed was planted. And, you know, then just trying to figure out, you know, I have to work, so I need to figure out what mm-hmm. to do there yeah. and start to figure out um, what am I going to do and, you know, working as an art director for a small magazine and then transitioning um, to an art director of a large magazine um, I think these things started helping me figure out what I wanted to do. So um, it allowed me to, to, to be in a mentoring role. It allowed me to have interns. It allowed me to make sure that the interns knew how to do things and make sure they did better, right? So I okay. think that nurturing aspect of having these specific jobs started seeing that I have a passion beyond just doing the work, which is great. Right, right. So after that, I started just noticing that I wanted to do and had to figure out ways to get you know, my foot in the door. Okay. And so, I mean, from there, I think that one of my friends had, he taught on a Saturday at the school I currently teach now, but he taught Saturday classes and sometimes he would not, he, he would go on vacation and need somebody to, you know, fill in for him. So it was an okay. illustrator, it was an illustrator class, you know, teaching software and going over oh, things sure. and, you know, software driven things are so easy to teach as far as, because, you know, once you teach somebody that skill, they can use it for anything else. So I would go in there maybe once a semester, you know, when he needs to go on a break and I would go and, you know, he'd, um, he'd just pay me like, you know, a couple of bucks. And I was like, it's no big deal. I'm just helping you out. But then you realize like what the potential is and everything. Mm, and then in yeah. 2009, he, uh, he let me know that the department was looking for an adjunct and it was literally, I think, a week before school started. Oh, <laughs> it was, wow. yeah. yeah. So it was, I think they had another opening for something and it, our, our, our spring semester starts at the end of January. And in the middle of January, he was like, Hey, if you're interested, my chair is looking for something and give him an email. So I did. And the chair said, okay, cool. Come in tomorrow. Let's look at your stuff. And we just had a conversation and he was like, okay, cool. Can you start Saturday? Oh, wow. <laughs> that's uh that's a little bit uh what do they call that um test by fire or whatever the oh, heck that's saying definitely. is yeah. yeah uh what class was that i mean there was no time to like prepare like i don't even know how to like what's a grade rubric right yeah yeah you i know? mean all of that had yeah. no idea what what um it was a class called digital imaging oh, um, sure. which is yeah. basically you know teaching photoshop and this was yep. in 2009. Um, so it was basically just trial by fire, exactly what you said, but teaching Photoshop and teaching, you know, beginning Photoshop. So it was very software yeah, driven. Yeah. And the way I approached it was just, you know, you're going to give weird projects, but you're allowing yourself to understand how to use all the nuances of the tools. Exactly. Um, right. Right. You know, and it's one of those things where I think that sometimes software is you just need to play with the software to really mm. understand it. Exactly. And, yes. You know, it's not something that you just go like. And I, when I was teaching the class, it got me better to know what actually tools were called because I would know that <laughs> I would know where yeah, they were yeah. on the the toolbar and the file menu. Right. But if you said, "What's that thing called?" I'd be like, "I don't know." You just do this. And right, so right, right. that was one of the things is teaching myself. Oh wow, this is called the lasso tool, and this is called the marquee tool, and this is called the move tool, or the selection path tool, or this yeah. right, or clipping path. I knew how to do all of them, but didn't actually right. know what they were called. And then it's it, I always find that tough because students are like, "Teach me how to do it. Teach me the the software." And it, it's not it's not like that. No. I mean, I can show you what the things do, but you have to. 
you have to teach yourself the software but I'm going to show you the tools. I'm going to teach you what the tools do. Yeah. You just kind of have to find your own route through it. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, because it's, I think they want to mimic something and they're not mm -hmm. telling you that. And I'm like, hey, if, right, you have, right. if you have an example that you're looking to do, then I can sure. teach you how to do that. But right. if you're or just saying teach teaching me the yeah. software. There's so many nuances, you know, yes. I can teach yeah. you Photoshop and how to make an animated GIF in a movie and export that, but that's not probably what you yeah. mean. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. That's well put. Yeah. Um, and then we could show them five to 10 different ways to do it to get to the end results. You know, that's the, that's the other thing I try to get across with it. It's really interesting. Um, did they like set you up with, um, some material to start that class? Like, um, here's someone's syllabus, go for it. Yeah, so my so the friend who, who gave me the insight of the, the job, he said, oh, this other person is teaching it that I know, you know, why don't you try contacting him and get his syllabus, right? So uh, for the first yeah. semester, I just kind of pulled his syllabus, looked at a lot of things of what he's done, and said, okay, I'm going to start from here. And then literally, yeah, yeah. because it was only a week, I took one of the, um, I think it was like Adobe in a Classroom books and yep. kind of went through that. You know, so one, it gets yeah. my feet wet. One, at least I know what they're trying to teach people because it still was software based and it was all always Adobe and never was anything else. Um, so I use that as my basis and figuring out and through that trial and error, it was, oh, how do I grade these people? <laughs> how, <laughs> yeah, how, do I, yeah. how do I make sure that, you know, I'm being objective about what I'm right. looking at in a subjective field? Like, you know, so how do I yeah. make sure that if I'm asking you technical things, right, did you understand how to bring something on a layer? Did you make sure that it was multiplied accordingly? Did you know how to use a mask and not just erase the background, right? Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. so, so you know, so that was, and for that, I'm look, I have to go and look in their files and look at all the layers, right? And if I'm asking you to do these things and group these things, and you have 20 layers that I asked you to do, awesome, because that means you technically knew how to do things. Right. If you have a flattened file, <laughs> then <laughs> I understand you didn't know how to do things, right? So yeah. I started had to learn how to do this, how to say, this is what I'm grading, so that you know what to, to expect. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And yeah. it was a very different understanding because our school is um, a design and technology. We are like a, in an, technically like an engineering school and a technology school. And so we have yeah. a lot of techno technological um, things, but we're the only design department. You know, mm -hmm. except architecture okay. There's an architecture section, but architecture and communication design are the only two real artistic sections in the whole school. So okay, right. most of it is all, you know, humanities and liberal arts based. So uh, a lot of sure, our students sure. are coming in with the idea of these other things, but not coming in from, let's say, an art school perspective where they've had some training, they've taken multiple painting classes, they've taken color theory and things. They're kind of getting a okay. lot of that stuff from us when they get to our school. Okay. That's going to be important. We'll come back to that because I want to ask you about some foundation stuff uh, in a little bit. Oh, definitely. Um, so after that first class... But, you know, what are you doing now? How, where has that taken you? What, what kind of uh, well, so, teaching have you come across? So, I mean, after that first class, which was in 2009, I, um, mm -hmm. I, I started teaching that same class um, on Saturdays, on Saturday mornings for the next three semesters. And I really enjoyed okay. it and I really enjoyed that. But what I knew is that I'm an adjunct. And as an adjunct mm -hmm. on a Saturday, there weren't a lot of people in the school. So I was kind of running on solo. And not getting a lot yeah. of um, support only because you're just – there's only a couple of classes in the school on a Saturday. And 
I really started to realize that I wanted to do this long term. And from that, I applied to schools. I applied because I only had my BFA at the time. Oh, from, sure, right. Yep. Yeah, so I only had my BFA from FIT, which is Fashion Institute of Technology in New York. And I wanted to make sure that if I, you know, I knew that if you needed to teach and wanted to be full time, you needed a terminal degree, which at that yeah. time, except for two schools, right? But at that time was an MFA, right? So I needed to go back to school and get an MFA. So I um, bust my butt so I can try to do my own portfolio again and write all these things and start thinking about how to apply for schools. And one of the things was, you know, I'm already established in New York. I don't know if I can actually leave New York and mm -hmm. go to school for two years. So right. um, my wife went to SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design, when she was younger and got her BFA there. And when I was doing research, I noticed they had an online version of a graphic design master's. And so I applied to that along with Pratt in New York and SVA and um, I think Academy of Arts out in San Francisco. Okay, and sure. I got into all of them except SVA, and um, SCAD gave me a scholarship, so I went to SCAD. Oh, no, that's all right. Right? So I went yeah. to SCAD and started doing this at the same time I was working as the group art director for Hearst Publications, and um, then going to school and doing all of that at night, and yeah. realizing that you know the end goal was eventually to teach. And so I was teaching and going to school, and... Um, working. So I had to tell my chair at the time I had to stop teaching. I, oh, so wow. I, I yeah. had to actually say, I need to take a sabbatical. I can't be doing this anymore because if my end goal is to be this and I want to be more than just somebody teaching software, I want to be somebody mm -hmm. who's actually advancing people in the field. Mm -hmm. um, I need to do this, this school thing. So I did that and dedicated three years starting in 2009, you know, 2000, actually 2010, to getting my master's. So I had to leave school, which was a bummer because I really started getting the hang of it, but it was only one class. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. so then I just actually went back to school while I was still doing group art direction for Hearst and, you know, just go to work and then come home at night and, you know, kind of just do what you got to do, do what you got to yep. do. And yep. so yeah. um, up until that, and then, you know, graduated in 2013, you know, um, figured out that now I got to start applying. So I was lucky enough to start to think about um, where schools I want to go to. Um, one of our professors in SCAD, um, her name is uh, Trudy Medina. You oh, know, sure. she yeah. yeah she she told me uh, like how to think about how to apply for which schools you would want to be in. Are they for profit? Are they public? Are they you know uh, private institutions? What do you really want to like? What's their what's their uh, what is a student body like? What do they care about? Mm -hmm. And so it, it made me directed in wanting to do that. And I think one of the other things is when I left, I met somebody um, who I still teach with today, but his name was Eli Nugaborin, and he was starting as a full-time professor at the same school and we went through like a the orientation training oh, yeah. like how to use mm -hmm. systems and how to get on the uh, how to get on the networks and all that and right. ever since I left because we were kind of the same age we always kind of like just hey how you been what's going on everything like that and he was like you know what we're looking for people and I was like what do you mean I looked you know I was looking for you know job postings online and there was nothing there he goes what do you mean we've been looking for somebody for so long Oh, wow. And then I was like, I went online right now, look for it. I'm like, dude, it's not here. <laughs> and <laughs> oh, literally no. on a chat, you know, on like, I think a Google chat, we, he was like, boom, here's the link. 
And so I went to the link and it was like this. And I was like, ooh, now I, I have a focus, right? So that probably came out in September of 2014. And I was like, now I'm going to put all my eggs in, in this basket and start writing my, you know, teaching philosophy and writing all this stuff and apply. And I think I applied by like a little after Thanksgiving. Okay. Um, and then I was like, all right, let's see what happens, right? I have no yeah. idea how this works. The, you know, I work for a city university, so there's a lot of bureaucracy in this and like who, who do you check and things like that. And then after a while, it was just uh, nothing was happening. And, I was, and it was hmm. April and stuff. And I remember it. It was in the middle of May. And I was walking um, through Times Square, walking home because it was a beautiful day. And I get a phone call from the department. And they were like, we saw your resume and you saw your application. Are you, in- are you still interested? And would you like to you know, interview for a position? And uh, probably the beginning of May. And I was like, I was like, hold on. I need to walk <laughs> where it's not so busy because it was Times yeah. Square. Literally, I had to walk to a quiet place. And I was like... Um, when is the time? When is the date? What do I need? Who do I need to be there? And let yeah. me just do this. And wow. in the middle of that, so, you know, I, probably a week later, um, I had an interview with the department because in our system, the department has to go through their appointments committee and recommend people to the president. And the president mm-hmm. has to then, you know, give the final say. It has nothing to do with the department. Like they recommend the people they think is good, but the president wants to be able to um, establish if you're a good fit for the community. Mm, So, um, I think that was one of the things. And then I met with him. I met with our Dean. I met with our provost all in the same day. And I think that was in July. And then I think at the end of July, they, they, they called me and offered me a position and it was a full, so it was a full time tenure track position at my department. And they wanted me to start in the beginning of the school year, which was August. And I was at Hearst for over eight years mm. um, oh, wow. and, yeah. and helping, you know, with this department of all the men's titles at the magazines. And I had to like figure out a way to, <laughs> to say, <laughs> I need to leave in a month. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, doing this transition thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's fantastic. Uh, there's actually some really great stuff in there that maybe we can have a conversation at another podcast too, talking about, um, you know, that that getting that terminal degree and then applying in that search for the right fit, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's something that I also uh, remember really well as to just not having any idea of what it is you're doing or how to go about it or how to do it. And there's not really much in... Um, uh, the MFA programs that really kind of prep you for um, being a design educator, you know, because it's a master That's of true. fine arts. So it's kind of a it's kind of an interesting moment. Um, so how many years then have you been uh, full time? I'm finishing up my fourth year. Awesome. So you just went through uh, your third year. My third year review was last yeah. year. Um, you know, we, we, we have our reviews and stuff and then I'm going up for my five year, I guess at the beginning of next year, mm-hmm. um, where our five year gets really close because our, in our institution, we have release time, which allows us to use our time for research capabilities in the beginning of being hired. And then our tenure process goes at the seventh year. So, okay. yeah. um, so we're in the process of doing all that. I'm in the process of, of using my final year release time next year, which, um, my research is based on a podcast as well and using podcasts to create data and how I can kind of look back. Um, because I figured out that was 
a better way of utilizing what my skill sets lie versus, mm -hmm. you know, traditional research. So, right, um, right. And it's been very difficult of recent years to get people to be involved in surveys, you know, to do data collection. Right. So, you know, so sometimes it's best just to come out and ask, right? Right. Just have the, have the conversation. Right. And now um, it's on record. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can definitely go back and say, here's the proof. Right. Um, so I think our journey has been kind of along the same timeline. And I know that there's been a huge shift in um, design education. Uh, things aren't the same as they used to be, right? Uh, we live in such a, a screen-based world now. Things are changing. Uh, so in your thoughts, in, your, in your, your own view, if you will, um, the state of design education. So what do you think is the state of design education? I think it's adaptability. Um, I think that designers and the way we think is a very unique thing. I think that we're positioned to be conduits between a lot of different businesses because we think along many different lines. And I think the fact that we're going away from the idea of production people or people who just do one singular thing. And I'm not talking about branding and design, but more of the production aspect where we used to have printing and somebody mm -hmm. would actually be the, the person who would check the files in this, right? I'm talking about more of that stuff. And we're thinking about, you know, how somebody needs to be able to understand web, even though they're not working on the web. They need to okay. understand RGB versus CMYK, even though they're not necessarily doing that. Where before, you can be a specialist in a, in a specific little thing. And yeah. I think now more people need to be, and a generalist is not necessarily a great term, but more generalist in the way that they're interested in different things. Because if okay. you're just interested in just your own one thing, you're never going to know how the next thing influences or how you influence the next thing. And so you have to kind of be a little bit adaptable. And I think um, it ties into what my thesis was at SCAD was the idea of a designer as a provocateur. But it really meant to be that a designer needs to be the person you need them to be at that given time. Mm, right. Okay. Rather, rather than saying, you know, I'm an author. Right. But or I'm a this or I'm a, you know, an educator. You know, I think sometimes you actually have to be what the project needs you to be. And sometimes that means be the alpha, that means the beta mm -hmm. or the zeta, right? You need to just sit back and let the whole thing go because maybe your role in that is to be a good production person and let everybody else do what they got to do. And I think adaptability is a really strong thing that we need. And, your, and the idea that everything is screen-based means everything is very me first, and okay. the difference in this in this younger society is everything is me first. I need to be the one to control it. I need to be the one in front of the camera. I need to be the one doing these things. And, we, they, and, and some students don't understand the importance or the way collaboration actually is the way the world works. Because okay, even like as a yeah. freelancer, right, you still have to work with product, product managers or production managers and people who are getting you and feeding you information. So if you're, you know, unless you're going to be the one who goes out and gets everything on your own, Right, more power yeah. to you, but you need to be flexible. Wow. So, how does that um, play into um, the instantaneousness of screen, of social media? Uh, you know that gratification kind of mode. Like design doesn't happen on a gratification, right? 
I mean, uh, it, yeah, I mean, it's it, gratifying, uh, it, but yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it in a screen mode, I think what you know, people need to be a little bit more aware of how actually systems work, right? Mm-hmm. I don't, I, um, I think depending on who the who who you're talking to, right? They we all know how things work, but we don't really see how things work, and I think the idea of how to right. see how things work, like you know. I ask my students sometimes, like, you know, what did you do to get to school today? And they say, I woke up and I took the train. And I'm like, so you're going to tell me in an hour and a half it took you to get here, that's all you did. They don't understand I woke up, I put my shoes on, I went here, I ate breakfast, I poured milk in a glass, I made coffee, I drank my coffee, I put the coffee in, like, you know, all the little steps Mm -hmm. because they take it for granted that that's what had happened. And design needs to yeah. understand all of those steps and how to address, well, I need to talk to you when you're getting your coffee. Or I need to talk to you when you first get up. Or right, I need to talk to right. you when you're, you're deciding to listen to the podcast when you leave your house. Like if you don't know when to talk to somebody as a communicator, yeah. right, who are you designing for, right? And it, it goes into that thing of, well, I'm designing for everybody. And I'm like, there's no such thing as designing for everybody. You know, so I think there's the times where you don't understand actually how things work because you're not noticing. Okay. Do you think we're there? Uh, You know, go back to that, the state of design education. Are, are we there? Is it time to adjust? Are we adjusting? Is there something we're forgetting? Should we be considering something? I think it depends on what you consider, who the we is. Right, right. Um, I think we live in a time where, you know, um, because there's so many design schools and there's and, and a lot of places are trying to, you know, um, commoditize what this skill of design is. And they think that you can just be a good Photoshop person and you're a designer. Um, mm-hmm. They don't take into consideration that you use your brain and your thinking and that makes you a designer, too. So, you know, all of the institutes, the the places that are that are really just trying to churn out and make money off of students who are trying to just figure out how they fit in the world and they have yeah. an artistic skill, but maybe it's not design, maybe it's not painting, maybe it's strategy, maybe it's thinking, you know, but they're saying, oh, you like, you, you doodled when you were seven? Cool. Now you're going to be a designer. Um, I don't think everybody's, you know, um, poised for that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think we're, we're commoditizing too much of it and it's actually making it, it's dwindling down what we do. Okay. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so I, so if you're talking about like we as the institutions or you're talking about maybe these higher art schools who have been doing it and celebrating the idea of art and design as thing, or you're talking about now we're building, it's almost like vocational school. We're building people who could do this and work on the back end coding of a website. Right, right. That's, they, that's something, but I don't know if that's design. Right. They all exist, right? They're yeah. all out there. We have all of those from, from, A, B, C, all the way through the gamma of those different levels, if you will. And so maybe it's more so that it's, it's defining what your niche is, you know, what is, what is your specialty at your university at said school, whether it's a, a SVA or um, a state school or a private school or whatever it might be, but knowing, knowing what, you're best at and focusing on that. Yeah. I think that's one thing I've talked a lot about with a lot of faculty is, uh, you know, what's the four year outcome? What does that look like? And then you kind of got to re, uh, reverse engineer that process right. to kind of 
you know, what what is it at three years, two years, one year? What are each of those steps? Yeah, and um, we're, we've been rethinking that and retooling our curriculum uh, as of last year. Uh, we have we just started our whole new brand new curriculum, which just organize things in a, in a, in what you like, exactly you said, a reverse engineering way where it allows us to think, where do we want our students to be and yes, how do we get yeah. them to that point? And being a city university, um, you know, who we don't have, we, we have a, uh, there's no barrier to entry. We don't need to have a portfolio to get into our school. Somebody can just come in. So we have open enrollment. Mm-hmm. So we have the people who are just like, I love coming to City Tech or, you know what, I've been doodling since I was a kid and I'm in City Tech and I want to see what design's about, right? So we don't have a level of, we yeah. know what you're coming in with a certain skill set. So we're, we're trying to build all of that in your foundational years and then guide you a little bit more in your upper level years, your last two, to what you want to be. Right. So we're we're doing a little bit of both at the same time because we're not necessarily a traditional, you know, university that people are coming in like, oh, I understand you've had painting for three years and you Mm -hmm. understand color theory, you know, so we we, we don't assume that going in. Yes. And I think there's so much more, so many more universities now have to consider that just because of the change of art at the high school level, right, In, in K through 12 it's changed so much due to different budgets and different constraints that we have to assume that they don't have any of that background. Right. Um, So that leads me to my next, uh, to my next question. Art and design or art versus design? Um, As somebody who grew up as just a lover of art and been drawing since like, as far as I can remember, I have to go art and design. Because okay. I almost think that you you can't take away the fact that the ability to see is in both. To mm-hmm. be able to understand color and theory and, and, and beauty on a level that is about how does it communicate information. Now, one is a form of expression and one is a form of communication. So we know there's a different end result. But if you understand how to view the world because you see that there's beautiful things in it, and I think that's a very artistic viewpoint. I think if you understand that, then you're able to bring that same level of sensibility to design. So okay. I would never say verse because then they're kind of like, you know, not polar opposites, but then they're against each other. And mm-hmm. I don't think they're against each other. I think they work in tandem. And I think in the beginning, as we get more seasoned and we start to, like you said, figure out where we fit and why we do things, maybe there's a difference later on, on am I going to be more expressive and more arts or more design, you Mm -hmm. know, and more communicative towards clients and driven towards a message and all these things. And so at the end of your design career or as you're working in design, maybe you're making more of a conscious choice versus in the beginning, I think, I think they need to be kind of intertwined a little bit because I think they're so importantly linked in the way you need to see the world. How would you, how would you defend the fine artist that says, well, my painting or my sculpture communicates? You're as communicating. A, as a, it, I mean, it, it does, it does communicate because yes. there, there's a, if you look at uh, like, you know, we go to the museums and you look at something and you get a feeling. Right, you get right. you you you, uh, you either get a gut reaction that you love it or you hate it, right? But it's a feeling, so it communicates. Now, it communicates for the artist's purpose, right? And it, yes. he allows he or she allows you to make your own assumptions of what's supposed to happen, right? So I think art allows us to take in and start to explain it. 
where design allows, is supposed to inform you and, and hopefully convey what we wanted to convey. Okay. So I think, they, the art, I think the artist as expression of communication, they do communicate because if not, we would not resonate with any piece of art. Right, right. What about persuasiveness? Um, as a sculptor, let's say. As a sculptor or, or a designer. I think persuasiveness design has a little bit more um, leeway in their ability to do that because you can mix imagery and text and things like that together to create a, a, a compounded narrative where I think because an artist, say in a sculptor, mm-hmm. you know, may not have extra tools to start to add different layers onto it. It's kind okay. of like what you see is what you get. Um, mm-hmm. There could be deeper meaning if there's like something in the background or this in the, you know, something hidden in the floor, you know, things that you have to search for. But I think persuasiveness l- lends itself to more design because you're able to layer a lot more meaning and intent to things. Okay. And then uh, I'll drop another one on you. I'm p- putting you on the spot here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Problem solving then, you know, um, how would you, how would you answer that for art and design? It depends. I mean, when I think of problem solving, I think of you're solving other people's problems, you know, as a designer, mm-hmm. you know, okay. um, right, and right. even if you, so if it's a brief that's been given to you or that's self-imposed because you're doing something, you're trying to solve the problem that making sure that you address certain issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have an end goal. Now, yeah. as an artist, I don't, you know, is the problem, what's the problem? Is a problem that you haven't sold yeah. something in a year and you need to make something that sells? <laughs> yeah. So, which well, is, could, an, which is a different you, problem. I think you could have as a fine artist where a client comes to you and says, I want this piece. It needs to be blue. It needs to have this texture. It needs to have this format. Um, so, I think oftentimes it does become difficult for young people to understand the difference between art and design and to understand that they do work together, which is mm-hmm. kind of where, where I'm, you know, kind of digging in with that question. And I think you did a great, uh, great job answering that and approaching those things. So how, how else would you kind of help that young person understand? Because they're like, well, it, wh- why am I doing this versus that? Why is design so different, you know? So like the, the understanding of, let's say, why the combination of art and design is almost so important? Sure, yeah. Like I we mean, don't I, call I, it graphic art. Well, I mean, we used to, right? We but used to. now it's graphic design. Yeah. Um, but even an artist would tell you a graphic arts is a trade where fine arts is more of a, um, a skilled artistic expression. Yeah. So. And I think even going back to your example, right, when a client comes into play for that artist, it changes the intention. Mm-hmm. So... You know, like if Michelangelo was, you know, was actually asked to do this for a specific thing for the Pope, right, or the Sistine Chapel, like he's doing it for a purpose. Right. He knows the intention of what it needs to happen versus him just being able to say, I'm making Michael, I'm making the David just for me. And if you want to buy it, you buy it. No, he had, he had benefactors who told him what they wanted and things like that. So he understood the end goal. So, but in for, I mean, I think that's the, the thing is that, you know, you don't have to be an artist to know that art and design work together, right? So right, students, right. students don't have to say that, oh my God, I haven't drawn, you know, which I think is one of the hardest things when you're asking them for thumbnails and sketches, right? It's like, oh, I don't draw well. And I'm like, I'm not asking you to draw well. I'm asking you to right. communicate an idea well. Exactly, yes. And I think it's yep. a very, like if your stick figure drawn can tell me what the person's going to do, then you communicated your idea really well. 
No, that's perfect. Yeah, that that's a virtual high five right there because I <laughs> use that same example. Um, when I start out intro to graphic design, we talk about my first project. They have to draw something because they're looking at a photo, and then they're um, drawing it. But I told them you're not you're not drawing a photorealistic expression. What right. I want you to do is, can you see the form and the shape and the value and the texture? Can you break it down into its basic yeah. objects, its basic, its, its basic for, formats, yeah. basic elements? And they're like, well, I, I still, I can't draw. So, you know, I do that on the, on the board, with on the whiteboard. <laughs> little stick figure, you know, I, I do a little girl with a skirt and some balloons. And I'm like, does everyone know what that is? They're like, yes, that's a little girl carrying balloons. I, and it's, I've communicated. And I'm like, that's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to communicate. Right. You know, it doesn't mean you have to be a photo, you know, realistic drawing. Yeah. I mean, right when you were talking, I just thought about it. You ever played Pictionary? Oh, sure. Yeah. Right. So Pictionary gives you what, like 60 seconds to convey as much information as you can. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and, and the artists in people who are trying to be as perfect as they can to communicate something, they only get one or never can communicate. But the ones who do exactly what you do and can communicate a stick figure with balloons means this, that's design. Right? right, like you're able right. to do it quicker, so it's not the ability to make something look as good in the thumbnail sketch form. It's right. just the ability to say you understand what I mean because we both have an understanding of where these visual language and these cues are, right. and we get it. Like the idea of a skirt means most likely it's you're, just, you're conveying a woman. You know, two circles with 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 sticks coming down from it are balloons. Like you know, yeah. these are universal ideas, and I'm and we're asking them to just notice what these ideas are and they've seen them all the time they're just not picking exactly. up on it right um oh i had something else don't you hate that moment where you're like "Ooh, let me say this and then and then that's, so you have, you have to cut me off gone. yeah um if it comes back to me i'll let you know oh good. but um i think it's a great uh opportunity then to talk about foundations uh if you will oh that's what i was gonna say see it's just a matter of time <laughs> it sounds like playing pictionary during like the first week of intro to graphic design might be a great group uh, activity. Oh, let's I'm gonna, do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I love it. I love I'll, it. I'll share later. We'll talk offline. I'll share with you the results. Um, <laughs> so to then take this into that foundations discussion, um, we're talking about change, right? You know, uh, design, uh, design education is changing. Um, what do you see as untouchable for design education? What could be done differently? What's missing? What could we do um, for change? I mean, untouchable are maybe the things that we use to communicate effectively. Typography is untouchable. Um, the command of you know understanding typefaces is something that um, we all need to be able to use to effectively communicate. Now, I've seen on some Twitter posts and things, which have, we've had good conversations about people saying that rules of typography are, you know, shouldn't always be, you know, um, focused on. And I believe that once you understand how to break them, then you can do whatever the hell you want, but you I understand agree. what yeah. it is. If if you don't understand what good things look like, then you don't know that you're breaking them. You're just being haphazard, right? Like that's like cooking. Like you know, you have to know that flavors go together before you can break them down. If they, if things don't go together, then you would never put them together. 
as much as you want to be experimental, you have to be able to put the basics of salty, sweet, you know, the, the taste bud things, right? Like smell, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So I think those are some of the things that you cannot go. And I think so typography is one of those things. I think the idea of color theory, um, because there's ways that like you can just put two colors together and everybody can feel sick to their stomach. Or you can put two colors together and everybody feels amazing, right? right? So I think the ability to do that, because you can do so much with just that. Um, I think there's some foundational stuff which, which discuss, like in our department, we have you know principles one and principles two, which go a lot about form, shape, pacing, size, relation, hierarchy, right? Mm-hmm. I think hierarchy is some of the things, which is obviously like a weird, you know, um, not tangible thing, but it's still a, a, con- a conceptual thing that hierarchy you need to know where the yeah. eye needs to go first like right right you know otherwise we're just looking to it a scene of abyss and we're just like where do yeah. where do i go from here i think that's uh, been the most elusive um with students from my experience you know the hierarchy aspect mm-hmm. of you know leading that viewer through your story and through that communication yeah, yeah I, I i and i don't i don't really think they understand that like the command of white space Mm-hmm. because I was talking to somebody and sometimes one of my type classes, we do um, like an 18 to 25 page book about just understanding like how to use type in various paragraph and rules and headlines and stuff like that. And we came up with an idea. Uh, well, we noticed that probably when me and you went to school, we looked at magazines. Right. We, we referenced something because we actually use it on an everyday basis. When I'm asking a student today to, to construct a book and pacing and understand all these different typographic you know, rules or norms, I then look back and say, well, what are they looking at? And if they're looking at the screen all the time, there's no sense of rules and norms because everything is very uniform. Right. Like yeah. Apple controls the way it looks. Google controls the way it looks. You know, like, you know, of course, certain, you know, good websites are able, are able to make things hierarchically, you know, um, advanced. But usually there's a universal form of how the headlines look. So it's kind of, oh, the headline is, you know, H1, H2 is this size. Paragraph is this size. H6 and H5 are these yeah. size. Caption is this. Right. So there's a universal form that students don't understand one but then they don't they don't interact with the normal magazines where we're like oh there's a big photo on the left side there's a huge headline on the right side the yeah. subhead is now off to the left and then the copy is just you know there they don't see that so then when i ask them to do something like that they're just i don't know what they're referencing right so they're pulling everything from instagram or pinterest or google yeah, right and i'm like you're actually being told by an algorithm what hierarchy is you know, I never looked at it that way before. That's, I mean, you're right. The algorithm is giving them um, what they should be looking at. Right. Not so necessarily they're all looking at the same what, thing. What it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? They're all noticing the same thing. So when I ask them for examples and you come in and everybody's getting the same examples because mm. it's the first three photos on Google. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, I, and, and I think that's just, that's not a testament to them because it's what they notice all the time. Right. Right. So it, it's it. We, I think we have to do a better job of maybe advancing. How do we take those rules and moving it more into a digital space so they can understand it more? Mm-hmm. I think if they understood it in those ways, that maybe you know we start talking about headlines as H one, H two, H three, right? Because it translates yeah. to more things that they would eventually use later on versus headline, subhead, deck, like 
Oh, sure, those, sure. Those printed terminologies are great for us because yeah. we still use them, but I think later on, they're never going to hear, like, yeah. what's the deck? And they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that's, a good, that's a good point because I've noticed, you know, just saying the word subhead, um, <laughs> students are like, what? What's a subhead? And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. You know, I have to stop myself and and think back to exactly your point. You know, they aren't experiencing the same things. So we have to do that quite and I differently. Think that's an interesting thing that I, that we have to begin noticing. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, so what what could we what could we add to it? Can we add anything to that discussion? To For the discussion example, of foundation or the discussion yeah, of what needs yeah. in a design? Uh, if, as far as foundations go. For example, I mean, I, I, our department's looking at um, 4D, right? The the idea of time and motion. Yeah. Uh, we're also looking at, um, I forget exactly what the terminology or the, maybe we haven't solved it yet. I think that's true. Um, but we're thinking about methodology, um, concept as being part of foundations as well. Alongside 2D, 3D, color, drawing, yeah, we're we're trying to establish our like a department process right now, so that we can kind of have something that all of our um, full time and adjuncts can kind of rally around, and we're all talking and speaking the same language. Mm-hmm. So, because we we're actually a really large department, um, but because we're very he- adjunct centric, there you know we only have about twenty full time and maybe eighty adjuncts. So we have a large adjunct faculty that oh, wow. is yeah. that is um, working with a lot of our students and we need to be a little bit more uniform in the way we're as a department, you know, um, sharing and disseminating information. So we're thinking about doing a process uh, that we can say that we use universally. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're understanding because our student body is so diverse and what the opportunities are in New York for the ability for them to have access to a lot of agencies and studios that are here and obviously benefit from the fact that they're diverse and what the agencies and the industry is looking for is more diversity. Mm-hmm. So we're playing into that to be able to say, well, what you just mentioned, being more conceptual, being more strategic in why you're doing things mm-hmm. um, is another avenue that's beyond just being great at the visual, you know? So I think we're noticing a lot of those things and figuring out how to add that to our process and be to say that you are going to be a visual person and you're also going to be a strategic person. And depending on what your, your, the job needs, you can fit both roles. Right. And that even goes back to what you're talking about earlier about, um, students having to be able to do more, right. You know, you're not just going to be a print designer at a magazine. Right. Um, and it seems to be that there's a lot more video, you know, there's a lot more, um, app designers, uh, you know, you have to be, you have to know enough that if they have a demand for something that you have to be able to be prepared to, to take that on. Um, yeah. And you have to be willing to, to experiment yourself. You have to be willing to take the, the risk and saying, you know what? I don't know um, After Effects or Premiere mm-hmm. Pro, but Photoshop does a little bit of video, and I can see if I can make something work. Right. Right. You know, and the, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. And I think that's just the ability of somebody um, thinking on their feet. 
Mm-hmm. And and knowing where their skill set lies a little bit so that yeah. they're able to say, well, I can't do this yet because it would take me way too long to figure out a software program. But I know what's supposed to happen. And I know if it fades out, I can make that happen in, you know, Photoshop and things like that and then apply that. And then, you know what, that's a great little mini tool to send to the real videographer later on to mm-hmm. say this is the way it should work. Right. You know, right. here's my storyboard. Here's my concepts. Right. But I've taken you on that journey a little bit instead of just being like, here, do this thing. You know, you're, yeah. you're so I think it's a little bit of the idea that, you know, people need to be and even us to, to ability when we, we don't know something rather than just kind of go away from it and say, well, that's something I don't want to know. Figure out the ways that you can work it within yeah. your own skill set because there are tools to do it. I don't do video in motion, but I can record a keynote uh, presentation and it would make type move. Yeah, yeah. So it, it it's effective. <laughs> yeah, and and that was uh, that was the point I was going to make is that resourcefulness, right? And it goes back to students that, that we talked about earlier. You know, teach me software. Well, it's not about teaching you software. Yes, it's important that we do show you the basics and the foundations. But it's the ability to know what do I want to do? What do I need to do? Right. And what do I know that can help me get there? And even if I don't know it, how am I resourceful enough to figure it out? Right. Right. You know, and, and that's what we have to be preparing our students for is the ability to be resourceful, to adapt on the fly and be ready to go. Um, Basically. Yeah. So is it is it print versus digital? Right. So where do we stand there for design education? Print and oh, digital. Oh, I mean, I mean, as a person who grew up, you know, dealing with print, I would, I, I want to say print as a, as you know, <laughs> but it's, I mean, we yeah. have to be real. What, like, you know, if we're talking about students never looking at a magazine to design a multi-page book, right? We have to look about how they experience things digital. How do they yeah. translate ideas for the digital form? Because in reality, you know, um, when you're talking about websites and people say mobile first, right? So you, because mm-hmm. that's where the that's where the first connection is, and then we design everything else around that. You have to think digital, maybe even primary, because the way they're experiencing most things, even if you're putting it on a TV, it's digital, yeah. right? So even if yeah. even if it's a commercial or you're using it for, um, you know, like we use um, screensavers to convey information, right, mm-hmm. to our students, it's still a digital. It's still yeah. 1920 by eight, you know, 1080. <laughs> So right. it has to be in that format. You know, you have right. to understand those things versus, you know, um, print because when print is so intangible and so they're, you know, they'll want to put a magazine spread in a bus shelter ad and all they do is stretch it and skew it and then it kills the whole design because they yeah. think that it's a rectangle that you're able to just morph. Right. right? They don't understand that a bus shelter is 48 inches by 67 inches versus a magazine is eight and a half by 11. Mm-hmm. Right. That that little that little copy on the bottom that was legal on a yeah. on a you know magazine becomes like a secondary headline on a bus yeah. shelter. Yeah. They have you know, to start so, looking at those concepts of uh, of uh, responsiveness differently between um Print and digital. And yes, I just said responsiveness to print and a lot of people are going, what is he talking no, about? No, I just started when you, heard, when you said that it was perfect because responsiveness to print is how do you make something look for a magazine, mm-hmm. a billboard, a bus shelter, a, a side of a plane, whatever, right? It's the same exact thing, but it's wider. So the headline goes wider. If it's narrower, the headline gets multi-stacked. Like right. it is maintain, responsive. Yeah. How do you maintain your hierarchy? Yeah. Yeah. 
And actually, that's a great way to to talk about response. Like print is to talk about the responsive nature because then then it goes back to merging digital, you know, terminology, but bringing into print because when they eventually do go into doing anything for the web and you're like, okay, make a website, but then make a banner and then make a this. And you're like, why are you still using a headline that's going, you know, the, you know, the long way when it's only this big, you know, you have to think about the responsiveness of that. Yeah. That's actually a great term. Yeah. Let's see if I remember it come fall. (laughs) Well, there's just, just, we listen to the podcast. So we'll just replay it every (laughs) night. Um, so it, it even comes down to, and what's your response to this, the idea of does print influence digital or does digital influence print? I think it depends on um, the media. I think mm-hmm. it depends on the intention. Um, you know, the, the the two big things in our school are graphic design and advertising, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I would say maybe in advertising, you know, digital in, informs print, while depending on in graphic design, maybe print informs digital. Mm-hmm. But I think it really depends on intent, right? I think, yeah. you know, what you're trying to do and who you're trying to communicate to. Um, because obviously a younger audience, you know, their first thing they're going to is, is digital. But if you're going to maybe a, a, a business audience or something a little bit more, you know, established and structured, maybe print is the audience and that's what you need to do, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, does print drive to digital or is it digital drive to print? Like, so I think it really depends. And, um, that's, yeah. So that's where I think sometimes things get a little bit confusing because there isn't such a cut and dry because, you know, even in advertising, it has a very different structure. Advertising versus graphic design, what the intention is. Right. You right. know, I think one's to persuade and one is to inform, mm-hmm. and the the end result may be very different. And having that design brief, um, kind of, is what's going to lead you, right? What are they trying to do? Who are they trying to reach? What's their end goal? It's right. going to define. Well, you need to be. In digital, well, actually, you need to be more print-based, but let's not just leave everything in print. Let's also move into digital. So, wherever the dominant uh, communication is, that's going to inform uh, the other, obviously. And and we yeah. we tend to do a lot of our our thinking of of students thinking mm-hmm. of what we call like three hundred and sixty integrated campaigns mm-hmm. and things like that because it's going to be able to say how do you touch multiple platforms and and media channels with this one piece of this, this one concept, right, because if right. you can do that, then you'll be able to hit more people, right? Your, 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 your target audience will start to understand it and see it. And for somebody in New York, the idea of repetition, the idea mm-hmm. that you see things one time, you don't notice it. You see things a second time, you don't notice it. But in the back of your head, your brain is telling you that I've seen these before. Yeah, yeah. And in the third and fourth time, you're like, why do these look so familiar? And then yeah. you go, I've seen these multiple times because color and hierarchy or type size or any of those things start to like creep in the back of your head. And you go, oh, I've been seeing this for the last week and a half. And yeah. now I'm noticing it. And I think that's the thing that it's like, as long as you can translate your 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 brain noticing that things are happening and then one time something just clicks and now you're paying attention. Yeah. And that's a, you know, like you ever have the thing where, you, you know, you, you buy a car and yes. you think you I never ex- had that car? I was just thinking that same exact <laughs> analogy. Yeah. And then everybody yeah. has your car now yeah. and you're like, I thought nobody had this car. Right. And now you notice that, you know, Ford Pinto everywhere. Right, right. <laughs> yep, yep. 
Um, so where is all this going to put us uh, for the future of design education? What does it look like? What's going to be most important? One year, five years, 10 years? Down the line? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I, we have to be able to still think, right? I mm -hmm. think that the ability for our, for our students and for us to teach for people, like you said, to think on their feet and to be resourceful is something that's not going to go away. As, as you know, you read the job descriptions of what they want entry-level designers to do, it's everything, it right? Is, yeah. Like it's, it's stuff that me and you probably can't do right now because that list gets longer and longer and longer. And so they're asking you to be a designer, but also in a meeting, take notes, but also in a meeting, can you quickly send a social post that we're having about the meeting right now? Can you do, right? So you need to be able to be that quick. So if, you, if you're just going to be kind of one type of person in the design world, you know, you're best probably suited to do more freelance because you can control that. Right, you can control right. of doing a lot less. Yeah. But if you want to be in the mix of like how do you shape design and how do you think about pushing new boundaries, right? You need to know where the limit is and how to go past it. And you need to think about what the next thing is and how to take a class to do that later on, right? Because you can take motion class just for the sake of taking motion and then now how to apply that to your typographic poster. Mm -hmm. Like Right, so you don't need to do it in a motion thing, but you still understand the concepts of that. So I think the ability for us to to keep on pushing where we're at and not being satisfied. Um, I think as a designer, to be satisfied in something is actually when you stop being a designer or creative, mm. okay. because then like you don't that. see you don't see the need to push anything else. You know, um, mm -hmm. I've been always thinking about the idea, and even when students like, if you don't see the need to adapt your portfolio once you've finished it, like you should be able to look at it and go, I'm going to change that, that, and that. Mm -hmm. If you ever actually go back to do it is a different thing. But the fact that you want to change it yeah. means you're, you're always thinking about how you can be better because now you're looking at how you learned new things and trying to reflect on what you did before. Now, mm -hmm. I don't mean you have to change those things, but the fact that you want to means you're always going to be a designer. When mm -hmm. you stop looking at things and go you know what, that was, that's good. That's, yeah. and this is good. And my mag, and when you stop thinking of stuff like that, then I think you stop being a designer because your intentions change, what you want to do changes. Maybe you're at yeah. a good part of your life where you're like, I don't need to be thinking about that anymore. But I think the ability to, like when some of my students who just are, are going to have their students show um, next week, they're looking at their work, which is final, printed out on wall, and go, I want to change that. I want to change that. And I'm like, in my back of my head, I'm yeah. like, good. 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 Yes, That's exactly. a great feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So I think what you're saying relates to us as design educators. If we feel like we've got it and we don't want to change and adapt, then we haven't got it. Yeah. Right? So I think that fits for the five year. I think that fits for the 10 year. So as long as we're looking at being uh, um, adaptable, uh, right. responsible to what the students need, um, and uh, oh, there was one word I was digging for. I hate that, George. Uh, this is my <laughs> life, you know. Uh, this is probably twenty minutes of my fifty-minute lecture, right? Me trying to remember what I was going to say. Like, what did I say? What did I say? And at the end, yeah. you're like, "Oh, it was this." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but um, responsiveness, right? We need to be responsive. To um to what's happening out there, um we need to be resourceful, right? Yeah, we, 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 we need do. to learn those skills um, so that we can pass those skills on and letting students know, hey, I'm not an expert in this, but 
but here's one way to look at what you're going to be asked or challenged as a professional. And I would, I would say that's a really good point that we, we have to notice that we're not the experts. Yeah. And there, I, I would love to learn something from a student that they know because they're doing some digital things that are mm-hmm. so far beyond what I can comprehend. And they go, yeah. look at this. Did you know you could do this? And I'm like, nope. But right. I, if, you, if you can teach me, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Um, I, do, I talk about that too in the you know, day one when I'm talking about my syllabus. I'm like, we're here to learn together. And yeah. I want to learn from you. You know, and it changes their respect and their appreciation for you when you yeah. can do that. And I think, you know, I think one of the other things is to, you know, this is me putting my DNI lens on um, things. So I'm on the AIGA Diversity Inclusion Task Force. And a lot of stuff that I do in my class is about making sure that students understand that their varied voice is important, mm-hmm. that we probably spend a little bit too much time on who we think are the classical greats in our industry. And, um, and that's, I mean, that's just being the, you know, homogenous idea of men from the Western Canada, like all of this. So even just men, right. Right. But also just all of the other stuff that, you know, we, I I live in an urban area and to be like, how do you respect all the different people that have come here before you done these things, have broken down barriers that you need to know about. Right. The reason why you're probably even in a design school is because somebody else made sure that you had the ability to do that, right? right and it's right. not it's not the the lovely, you know, Paul Rands and all that who've been doing all of that for a long time, but maybe not directly for the students that I'm talking about. And, you know, when I create projects, I'm being actively trying to figure out that I'm looking for those type of people that they can learn from. Instead right, of lo- right. you know, because they they need to understand that those people are just as important as the other ones. For them, you know, because if they don't see their own selves in what they're doing and to see that those people are breaking barriers, you know, you you need a Jackie Robinson to do something to know that we can be in this league, right? Right, If you don't have that, then you don't know where to go. You don't feel that you're, you're part of this conversation. And the more that as an educator, we can allow them to bring in things that like, hey, you want to talk about this person that I have no idea about? Mm -hmm. Then you need to do a better job of educating me. So that next time I bring that person up to my next class because right, you taught right. me. And yep. I'm totally down like you are with learning from students and learning about conversations that I'm not comfortable with. But if a student wants to talk about that, I'm mm-hmm. totally going to be there for them. And in a way what they feel, you know, connected and okay to talk about things that they're, you know, maybe used to talking to at their, at their home with their friends but don't feel it has to do anything with school. And I'm right. like, you know what, if you're going to be a good designer – you have to think about how all of this stuff relates because you can't oh, be yeah. a designer and not bring in your your what you care about into design. Yep, we talk about all that, uh, man. That's, that's <laughs> Excuse so, me. Oh, you're fine. That's so on point. Um, and I even let them know that you know, sure, here are the greats. Here are what they're known for. Here's why um, we still talk about them today. And then I let them know that they are the next generation of those people this is their opportunity to find what it's going to be for them. Um, and they really kind of sit back and can open their eyes and realize that that is what I have potential to do. You know, I do have those opportunities. Um, and we've been talking about a lot of great, uh, advice here for design educators and just our conversation. So with that being my next question I had in line, we've answered a lot of it, but is there anything, any little nuggets that you want to leave for design educators as they continue to uh, teach I mean, for designers. design educators, I think we yeah. have to continue to learn. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think we, uh, even though we're educators, we have to be, you know, adaptable to be able to learn all the new stuff that people are going through. Because once we are antiquated, we're no longer a value to our students. Um, even if we're looking at things at our foundation level, if we're not knowing the end result and how that's supposed to translate to what these students or anybody's supposed to be doing in their careers, then mm-hmm. we're not any, we're not valuable to them anymore. Right. And it's hard to say, to say that, you know, eventually you're going to be obsolete and not valuable, but it's only because if you're not continuing the process of learning for yourself, right? Because, you know, you, me, and a lot, a lot of other professors, we teach, we do side projects, we, we, we're artists, we have podcasts on the side. We're, we're challenging the way we can communicate information because we understand that there's not just one way to do it. Right. And I think the fact that we're doing that, we're not going to be obsolete, right? But the ones who just go, I'm just this, which is totally okay, but there's going to be a point where they're not going to be any value to, to, to people. And I think that's yeah. unfortunate because they're not trying to add any more value to themselves either. So, you know, I came into podcasting and I had no idea what to do. And I just started, you know, researching and looking at lynda.com and doing every resourceful thing that our students would probably be doing when they don't know something either. Right. They go right to YouTube to learn a, a, a technique. And you know what? So did I. Mm-hmm. And you know, if I have to go and do those things to let them know that. So when I'm telling them to do this and I'm asking them to, to push forward, I'm like, you know why? Because I can find the same information you can and we can learn these stuff together. So don't act like it's not available. I mean, imagine yeah. doing this 30 years ago. Oh, goodness, I, we, yeah. We'd have to, re, you know, rent a recording studio, have all this equipment. We wouldn't even be able to do yeah. this. And where do you distribute it? You have to have a radio station. Right, you have right. to do, right? So we're able to do all this stuff now so much quicker. You're in your house. I'm in my house. We're able to yeah. do this, you know? So I think the ability to, to, to say that we have to continue to, to, to learn from what's going on, because yeah. the more we do that, we're going to see where they're going to fall short and realize it because we've actually been falling short on ourselves and say, you know what? Let's figure yeah. it out together. Because I love it when, my, when my, my students go, did you know you could do it this way? And I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> right? That's so much yeah. easier. <laughs> Why have yeah. I been teaching it the long way when I could be teaching you, you know, the short way? Exactly. You know? Yeah. And uh, I just... Uh, found out yesterday that there's an actual plugin for Illustrator. So if you make a logo, you can actually export any version of that logo that you want. RGB, CMYK, spot color, uh, emblem, wordmark, lettermark. Like you can have all of your layers and everything in one file and just use this plugin, hit export. Five minutes later, it'll give you anywhere from 20 to 200 different versions for uh, screen and for print. It's like, what? What? Ah. That's like using artboards in Photoshop. It is so yeah. good. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, so being constantly learning, constantly doing, constantly moving. Um, anything that you want to tell the uh, listeners about, the viewers about before uh, before we wrap up? What are what are you, what's next for you? What's done? So what's coming down I, the pipe? as I mentioned, I have my own podcast yeah. um, that I do. It's called Works in Process, and it's literally just talking to creatives to find out how they work mm-hmm. and to get insight and what are the steps they've taken to get there and then what's next for those creatives, right? Because I think that um, the same way, 
anybody needs inspiration and to know that you can do that, right? We all need a, a LeBron and a Michael Jordan to know that those people from Akron and from North Carolina and these can yeah. actually go somewhere, right? This, we need I, we need to to build alignment with all yeah. of these, you know, designers and artists and writers and letterers and learn how they do things and then also realize that I think I do this the same way. And if I do it the same way that they do or they've messed up and I've messed up and they're still here, doing something really, really, which I respect, I can do the same thing. And that alignment for emerging designers of being like, it's okay to go do it this way or figure it out because the end goal, you're going to get there. And I try, I try to find so many different types of, um, creatives, you know, from painters to sculptors, to letterers, um, to writers, to artists, to designers, so that we all can say that all the creativity, all really doing the same thing, you know, but you have to find out which way works best for you because there is yeah. no one type of process. Right. But to know that there is a methodology, to know that there is a way, and to know that, you know what, failure and multiple failures are probably yeah. the way that we're all going to figure out how to do things because only do you know when you mess up that you're not going to do it that way again because that means it's going to mess up, right? Mm-hmm. We, only, we only learn not to touch fire when we get burned. So, yeah. you know, otherwise we're like, this is so beautiful. Let me touch it. And, you know, you're like, you're like no. Right. Um, so the idea is to, to start to learn from alignment of these people. So, I, you know, I try to keep on talking to them. You know, you trying to pull out a podcast every two weeks is really aggressive, and I applaud you for that. (laughs) But, um, you know, I'm trying to do that. And at first, it's, you know, I realized I have all these people who are really creative, and I want to learn more about them. And it's more about a conversation of being like, I respect all the stuff that you do, and I want to learn how you did it because I think other people should hear about you. It's kind of more about who are these people that we don't know about. Right, right. That I want to yeah. bring into the light. So I've been doing that. I've been figuring out how to how to have that conversation. I've been teaching myself Adobe Audition, be able to edit those things, nice. yeah. and um, to be able to have a conversation without so many ums and ahs because that's really hard. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think the really the the next thing is to figure out what how do I establish something in my at my um, my department that becomes a little bit more lasting. You know, we're trying to bring a lot more industry professionals into the school. We're trying to have these ideas that, you know, there is a, a, a great connection that we can bring to our students if they just understand and see that so much happens in New York and they can be part of that if yeah. they actually go out there and get it. And, the, and for the students who do, they're making our department proud by applying to all these different things and they're getting in. And they're obviously going to be the ones who are, like you said, that next generation of who we're going to be talking about mm-hmm. in the future. We're going to have that in our department and be like, that's so-and-so and that person, right? And right now, yeah. you know, I have, a, I have a couple of graduates who will be graduating on June 3rd, you know, who, who, who are in our um, senior show that will be, you know, debuting on Monday. And they're just these workhorses who go get it and don't take no for an answer and figure out things. And they're so resourceful, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. Um, And so I think those type of people and all of these are, you know, what I want to do stuff for and make sure that we, we aid more of those students who are just figuring it out Mm -hmm. when they get to school, you know, maybe they didn't have it when they were getting into school, but as a sophomore, they're like, this is something I can actually do. 
And I didn't realize that now my professors or my classmates are giving me that confidence to want to pursue this a little bit better. And when we notice that, how do we push them in the right direction to make them you know, learn, make them go out for something that they didn't even think they could? And you know yeah. what? If they fail, that's okay. Right. It's not a big deal. Yeah. It's about learning, right? So I think, you know, it's my podcast. It's really bringing back to my students, you know, and I think that's where I'm at right now. I that's mean, I want to be able to do, you know, I think those are really my important factors mm-hmm. because those two things are really what, you know, in my creative field and in my educator field, those are what bring me joy, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. it really makes it it really makes it empowering that like I can see these students do this and I can learn from my fellow creatives about just how to do things because that's me continuing and pushing on knowledge, right? That's the same thing I saw in 2002 when I was a mentor and I noticed that these things are the great conversations to have and so that's 17 years ago and that and that still drives me today. Right. That's it exactly. That I think that one statement hits the nail on the head, you know? Uh, it's a journey and it's an, it's an amazing journey. So where can people follow you while you're taking that journey? Where can they, uh, connect with you online? So if you want to follow my podcast, it is at WIP.show. Um, that's the website and you can subscribe on all the major platforms from Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, um, tuned in radio public, whatever. It's all the same thing. Um, but if you want to follow me on, um, so that's work. That's my works in process podcast. But then you can follow me on Instagram and or Twitter at works underscore in process, the whole thing. But then if you just want to follow me personally, it's um, G Garistegui on all social media platforms. So G G and my last name. It's my long last name, so <laughs> I'm not gonna you know yeah. spell it out here. But I'll, just follow I'll leave me in my last name. Yeah, I'll leave some information in the notes for him. Yeah, but mostly Instagram and, and, and Twitter is where I do a lot of my, my stuff and then pod, and then most of Instagram for my podcast. Fantastic. Well, I really appreciate you spending the time with me today, George. We've had a well, great, thank you, Pete. great conversation. Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah. And um, man, just keep doing it. Keep the journey going. Thank you. It's you so bet. different being on this side. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, <laughs> I've not been on that side of the the podcast interview yet. So All right, so we're yeah. going to make that happen. Oh, God. You know? Oh, no. Yeah. All right. It's such, it's such a different <laughs> vibe. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll look forward to it. All well, right, definitely, George. definitely. I appreciate it. And uh, let's keep creating success in design education. Thank you very much, Pete. I appreciate it. You bet. Take care. Bye. Take care. Thank you for joining me on this episode. The Designed Podcast website is located at thedesignedpodcast.com. There you can find notes on the episode, links to our guests, links to resources, and more regarding the many things discussed during each show. If you find the Design Podcast interesting and informative, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast service. You can also follow the Design Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe to our video version of the podcast on YouTube. Please join us for the next episode of the Designed Podcast, and let's continue to create success in design education.